Good morning, everybody. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. And also, if you're watching online, we want to welcome you as well. Um, just in case you guys didn't know, we stream our services and Sunday school every week. So if you ever miss a Sunday, you're able to go back and, and watch that. Um, I hope you got a bulletin. We have a Christmas party coming up uh, Sunday, December the 10th. Um, this is really Christmas dinner, and, and that's going to be in the evening, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., más o menos. And uh, it's going to be fun. We'll have some, uh, some people singing songs and some specials for you, so it's going to be uh, quite a treat. Also, uh, just ongoing activities, women's Bible study, still Tuesdays at 930. And I think we have, a, we have an evening Bible study coming up, right, uh, if I recall correctly. Maybe not. Okay, coming up in January. That's around the corner. Um, youth, we meet every Sunday at 6 p.m. Young adults also meet every Sunday at 6 p.m. And uh, with that said, um, now this says December the 12th over here. And on, okay, there's a little bit of a conflict there in, 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 this, in the dates. But uh, it's, I think it's the second Sunday of December is when we have our Christmas party. We'll get it right next week, I promise. Uh, now I'm going to read First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And that's First uh, Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 2. So with that said, um, I'm going to ask Angela to pray for us as we uh, prepare to worship Jesus. You all bow your heads and pray with me. God, we love you and we thank you so much for the blessings of this day. We praise you. We know that you're on your throne. Nothing can shake you from that. Um, we thank you for the joy of being able to come together with other believers, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and worship together today. Thank you for the privilege and protection you afford us. We lift up our music and pray that it would be a sweet sound to you, that each of us would raise our voices um, and be turned to the greatness and wonder of who you are and what your son Jesus has done for us. We pray for Pastor Josh this morning, um, that you would just bless him and bless his message and help it to just lift us all up and to understand your word more clearly. We lift up all of those who are sick right now. There are many viruses going around. Many are out right now. And we just pray for healing um, and protection for them. We thank you for every good blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand with us for time of worship.
Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? The shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my
Christ of Nazareth. He knew well what it would take to free us all from sin and grace. A perfect man would have to
Good morning. Good morning. Children, you guys can go to Children's Church uh, if you're going there today. uh, Did our... Thanksgiving service last, uh, last week, so we're going to pick back up in Second Peter today. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do in some form or another, go ahead and open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 2. Um, and uh, we're going to pick up right there. I, one, this is very pragmatic and not a pastoral concern, but if your turkey is still frozen, stick it in the fridge. Just FYI, you're welcome. Um, that sucker is going to take a while longer than you think to thaw out. Um, so you want to do that, that's free. You didn't pay for that one. Um, go ahead and make sure you do that. You'll thank me later. Um, but I do want to pray before we begin. Some of the things that we have continued to pray, but as uh, Angela noted earlier, um, we do have some folks that are, you know, this is what we used to call cold and flu season um, and uh, just just getting cranking. And so we do have some folks that... Uh, have some viruses, so we want to get over that. Um, but we'll do that, and we also need to pray as we are, as we do at El Paso Bible Church for uh, peace, peace in Israel, at to Israel's advantage. Can we say that? All right. So we're going to do that. I just try to warn people because there's some people are shocked off their rocker by that. Um, but um, anyway, let's do that. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for the service of Thanksgiving and the meal that we shared together last week. We thank you uh, for the time set aside in this coming week for for giving thanks yet again and enjoying the fellowship around a meal with our family and our family in the body of Christ, uh, hopefully in many cases. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have. We thank you also for your word. We thank you for the caution that it gives to us. and the doctrine and the teaching that it contains for us that is remarkably and universally applicable to our context. Father, we, we pray for those who are sick, um, some with viruses that are, that are passing already. And Father, we pray for those. We pray for those who are suffering from things that are not passing so quickly, uh, even chronic illnesses. And pray for comfort and health and healing for them as well. Uh, but Father, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray uh, for lasting peace in favor of your people, Israel. And we make no apologies for that. Father, we do not pray simply for the cessation of violence, but for the success of righteous violence against her enemies in that place. Uh, And Father, we know that that is within your will, and so we pray that way. Uh, Father, we pray that you bless your time in in your word today, and that it would be an instrument of grace in our lives as we go forth. Uh, giving you glory and thanks. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. So here we are in Second Peter, um, and somehow it didn't make it on the slide here, but it, this is the Growing in Grace series that we had last. Uh, First Peter, remember, is really focused on our role 
um, within what we would describe as a dispersion, right, of a people that is dispersed. Um, our responsibility as a corporate group, uh, and largely First Peter focuses, I think, a little more narrowly on what our responsibilities are individually because of the, the way the audience is described. Anyone who has a like faith such as ours was the way that Peter started this book. And so it's talking about our responsibility, and thus it is more a growing in grace uh, that we have received from God, uh, and that is something that we need to grow in, which you wouldn't think, in, well, maybe you would do think, you wouldn't think that that's uh, controversial, that there is an identity that we possess in whole, no one argues, well, no one orthodox argues, that we haven't received our full and entire identity in Christ, that we're seated in the heavenlies, uh, that's Colossians for us, uh, all of those things are true of us, and that our lives currently, our minds, our suke, our lives, everything all wrapped into one, uh, is not reflective of that entirely. Does somebody want to argue that point? The short way the rednecks say it is, you ain't perfect yet. You ain't done yet. Nobody, no one really reasonably argues with this. Uh, Peter says that you have been given everything for life and godliness. He's encouraging you to believe that, to trust it, because it is not absolutely evident in everything that we do and every decision that we make. But you do possess it. You do have it. Uh, in my doctoral program, this is a constant refrain. You can do this. You do have what it takes. You can pull it off because every week I'm like, ah, I'm not sure I can do this, right? Ministry is like that at a lot of junctures, actually. We need to grow in our application of the things that God has given us, knowing and trusting, believing that he has given us everything uh, that we need in order to do it. And he then tells us you need to supply those things, and he gives us an order, uh, this is an important thing. Uh, right now I'm doing a little bit of woodworking because that's how we roll in the Meyer house. We don't get slower, we just change. We apply the RPM to other things, and so bees have stopped and woodworking has started. This is the thing. See, normally I don't give people pictures of what I'm making. This time I've told them I'm going to make something that looks like a picture. Ooh. So then i got to follow the rules. I've got to follow the directions. I've got to supply, follow the order of things and make it come out reasonably, a reasonable facsimile of the picture that I sent. If I ever tell you if I should do that again, tell me no. <laughs> I like to, I, I'm enough artsy that I just want it to come out the way I want it to come out. Anyway, so follow the rules, right? The certain things in the order that he says, do your best until you know better, <laughs> then do your best again, was the way it started. When we learn them and relearn them and review them, the things that we already know, and in fact, the things Peter says that we're standing firm and we're established in them, uh, that we, are, we develop certainty about what we're here for in our lives. We develop a certainty about our vocation, what we're here for. Uh, some people seem to be born that way, and it doesn't change as they become believers. Other people... It is like getting struck by lightning, the, the amount of change that takes place between what they thought they were on the earth for before they were believers and what they think they're on their earth for uh, after. 
But the certainty is the issue, isn't it? The certainty is the issue. We are not meant to wander around aimlessly like a bunch of weird justified nomads in life that don't know what we're here for. And Peter says that if you do these things, if you believe God's promise that he gave you everything for life and godliness in Jesus Christ and you apply them in the, in the bullet points, the order that he gives you, then certainty of your purpose is a result and you are as a result useful. And you can be that way until God returns for the church. And in that, Peter also says, don't expect novelty. Novelty is a negative when it comes to relating the words of Scripture, the truths of Scripture, the purpose in it. And he ended that by saying, listen, the, re, the way that I know it, because he expresses certainty about his vocation, which is to continually agitate people with God's word. You know, I have a mixer that does this. See, some of y'all have cute mixers. I have a mixer that's made like a tractor. I know this because I took it apart. It will agitate anything I put in there. I think it might grind up wood like a wood chipper if I gave it an opportunity. It's a little hobart, but it's, a, it's little, but it's mighty. That's his job. He was certain of that vocation. And he says, the, re- the way that I'm certain, the way that you're certain, same way, not through novelty, not through some sort of premonition, not through some sort of substance, not any of the other things that the religions of the world say. This is how you get revelation. He says, remember these things. This isn't special Do not look for novelty. Do not look for the special sauce, the the, the magic recipe. It is this. And the way you know that is because Peter says that this is the nature of prophecy. Prophecy is reliable because it's it's not a human production. It's God's Word. And God is the one who is responsible for the way that is written down. And that's why novelty is a negative when it comes to how we teach Scripture, the prophecies that are in it. True prophecy is reliable because it's not a human product. False prophecy is what he picks up here in chapter 2. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people. So he's looking backwards, right? False prophets arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. True prophecy is reliable. False prophecy is all too common. False teaching. But false prophets arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And most pastors in my circles would be like, it ain't swift enough. So <laughs> we wish it would be a little bit swifter. It's like when you run across somebody, wouldn't it be cool if liar's pants really lit on fire? Yeah, we, we would like it to be swifter, but God says that it's swift. The idea being that it is not going to be torturous when it comes upon them, I think. That takanos means once it starts, it finishes completely, quickly. It's done. It's going to be unmistakable. It's not going to be like when you say, I'm dying of the flu, and then you get better in seven days or less. It's going to come upon them quickly, and when it does, it will complete quickly. False prophets. 
all over the place. He seems to indicate in the Old Testament there were false prophets that arose among the people. They were common, but largely they were anonymous. Largely. In the numbers that I see them, there's only a few that are named that. We'll look at one later here in a minute. But you remember the standards that were given. The one that we like, right, as, as uh, cessationists, that means people who don't hold to certain gifts being applicable today in the church. And I'm cautious about holding that. That's not a hill that I will die on necessarily, but I, I do align myself there. We like the one. We like the one where it says that the prophet has to be 100% accurate. Right? We like that one. That's reasonable. That was the standard. So it doesn't matter if it's a little prophecy, big prophecy, or if it's a little prophecy with a big prophecy. It all had to be 100% accurate. And a lot of times, remember that there was something to confirm the big prophecy. That was the little one. And it was near term, and they were supposed to observe it. There's an exception to that, by the way. And we covered this in Sunday school in the Torah and Deuteronomy. Moses says that even if a prophet arises that gives you a small sign and it comes true, you're supposed to stone that sucker. Because no true prophet will tell you to engage in idolatry. It doesn't matter if what he said comes true. If he tells you to be idolatrous, you kill him. One exception, right? Even if what you say is true. See, that applies to guys kind of like, you remember the story of Balaam? Balaam's a central story in the Torah. You should know that story. You should go back to Numbers 22 to 24 if you don't remember it. Everybody remembers the donkey part, but that's the illustration because eventually Balaam becomes the donkey. That's a long story, and I wrote a paper on it. You can read it if you want. Um, Balaam becomes the donkey in the story eventually. Uh, but the reason that you're supposed to know who Balaam was, he's not given no introduction, is because he was a rock star prophet in the ancient areas. He was an absolute rock star. You don't get to be a rock star prophet without a pretty good success rate. Right? Recently I heard on the radio it was, uh, what's his name? David somebody. Literally, he has a, the, the magician. What's his name? Huh? Copperfield, I think it was him, has said now that he's going to make the moon disappear. Now, you might remember that was part of the plot of Despicable Me, one of a great movie. So he's now going to become the supervillain of Despicable Me. He may not realize that that's what he's doing. I think it's on purpose. He's going to make the moon disappear. Now, he's a fake magician, right? But even a fake magician, you don't even know who he is if he fails all the time. So the prophet had to be like that. But if he tells you to engage in idolatry, you kill him anyway. That would, those were the standards, right? They were supposed to execute the guy. We've been given uh, some of the tests, right? In 1 John, we talked about that. John tells you that you're supposed to test the spirits, not to believe every spirit, test the spirit. And specifically, he says, the way that you test the spirits is what they teach about Jesus Christ. That's central, if they don't proclaim Jesus at all, they're false. They're not, they're, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. If they say something drastically wrong about Christ, then that's a false spirit, spirit of the Antichrist. I actually had someone throw this verse in my face this morning and call me a false prophet. I don't do this stuff on purpose, folks. 
Call me a false prophet because I don't teach that everybody goes to heaven when they die automatically. I'm not a universalist. That isn't what Jesus teaches, by the way. If I apply that test for 1 John, then I know that he is, in fact, a false teacher. He's proclaiming this to everybody. He's a pastor somewhere. Uh, People like that get mad, though. I don't bother talking to them at length. I just tell them they're ignorant to repent and to stop teaching people until they get better. They get mad because I'm not considered them worthy of writing a commentary to condemn them. Your own speech condemns you, you idiot. I don't have time in my life left to condemn every idiot that comes by. Don't throw rocks at every dog that barks, Winston Churchill said. But there are some examples, some, some that are named, right? Some of y'all might recognize. I want to look at one, uh, and it's in 1 Kings 22. Y'all are going to have to forgive me. I just had my contacts adjusted, so I'm going to maybe put my glasses on here for a second. 1 Kings 22. First Kings 22, uh, and this is during the time of a famous dude. Y'all know Ahab? The guy, I mean... You don't want to be the object of certain kinds of prophecy, right? God says to Ahab, the dogs are going to lick your blood up. That happened. It's in this chapter. Actually, the next chapter. This is the guy. Zedekiah was during his lifetime. Um, One of Ahab's favorite prophets, his rock star prophet, Zedekiah. Now, we can't read the whole text of this scripture. Uh, I don't think we have time. Uh, but you can read it yourself. I'm just going to kind of cover it. But, but basically, you remember that the kingdom of Israel was divided into two at one time, right? After the golden age, um, the northern kingdom had the cult of the cows, right? They had two golden calves set up at either end of the country uh, to ensure their national solidarity around their, their cult of worship. Um, and Judah remained largely faithful, although also ended up being exiled eventually. Ahab is the king of Israel. In fact, that's all, frequently, he's not even named by name. He is so denigrated in the history of Israel. He's just called the king of Israel, that guy, the king of Israel, not by name frequently. We know that's who he is. And uh, he has 10 tribes. He's got more butts in the seats, so everybody looks at him like he's successful. Sound familiar? All right. But um, he has a problem. He wants to go to war in territory that he claims, Ramoth-Gilead, and he asked the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. You know, that was a real guy. That was not just what hillbillies say when they get excited. Jump into Jehoshaphat. That's a Bible character. Um, And he was the king of Judah. And he goes and says, hey, man, I need some help. Will you help me? He says, yes, I will help you. My people are yours, my horse is yours, but let's go to Yahweh first. Can we do that? Can we, can we judge the wisdom of what we're going to do by approaching Yahweh? And, of course, Ahab is not a godly man. That's why Zedekiah is his favorite prophet. So he says, yeah, I got just your guys. I got just your guys. I got a whole crowd of guys. I got more butts in the seats than you can kick a stick at. 400 prophets all prophesying and Zedekiah among them. And, of course, they say to Ahab what he wants to hear, which is, yes, 
If you guys join together, you'll succeed. Ramoth Gilead will be yours. Even Zedekiah brings out an object lesson and puts on a cute little hat with horns made out of iron. You're going to stab the bad guys with your horns. He's a yes man. He wants them to do. He tells them what he wants to hear. Jehoshaphat says, these guys are chuckleheads. I'm paraphrasing. These guys are idiots. If you've got 400 people in the same room with the same opinion, likely most of them are dumb. I'm not joking. Y'all are laughing. Somebody chuckle. you got 400 people in the same room saying exactly the same thing. Most of them are probably dumb or scared to death and dumb because of that. It could be both. So Ahab tells Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat says, is, is there not one serious dude among the prophets? Is there not one guy that's going to actually speak for Yahweh and dare to tell us something that we don't want to hear? And Ahab says, yeah, but I don't like that guy. He hurts my feelings. He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. He says mean things to me. He's not nice. He's not nice. Let, I mean, let's look here at verse 8, chapter 22. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we inquire of Yahweh, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Do you know what you're saying, you idiot? <laughs> I've had people at El Paso Bible Church that occasionally that have said something like this when they leave. Someone says, you know, if you don't agree with what Josh said about grace, and this is what it was on the one time I recall, you need to go talk to him about it. You know what the person said to the person? Because they never come to me. <laughs> they never come to me. That, this person is long gone. They never come to me. Well, he's a theologian. I don't want to talk to him. I want to remain ignorant, and I want no one to talk to me that is not ignorant. Can I paraphrase? I don't want this prophet to tell me anything because that idiot will tell me what Yahweh wants me to know instead of what I want to do. Now, how stupid is that? That's exactly what happens, by the way. Micaiah has one heck of a backbone. Right? All the prophets come prophesying. Verse 12, chapter 22, the messenger goes to summon Micaiah, and the messenger gives him a heads up. He says, the 400 chuckleheads have already told him everything you want to hear. Everything he wants to hear, they've already told him that. So I advise you to join the chuckleheads. Join the chuckleheads. And Micaiah said, no, I'm going to say what God tells me to say. So he comes before the king, and Micaiah gives him the most sarcastic answer he could possibly come up with. What does God say about my campaign? Oh, you'll succeed. How do I know it's sarcastic? Because the king knows it's sarcastic. The king says, don't give me that crap, Micaiah, because I know when you say what all the other chuckleheads say that you're being sarcastic. So tell me what Yahweh says, 
I'm paraphrasing, guys. Give me a break. And this is what he says. I saw all Israel, verse 17, scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. He sees them kingless at the end. That's one guy. Oh, and by the way, Zedekiah comes up and punches him. Micaiah. Who made you the prophet for Ahab? Punch. It's one of the guys. It's a false prophet in the Old Testament. Notice how many there are, though. 400, roughly, more or less. All saying the same things. All saying the same things. But Micaiah told him the truth. Was thrown in prison. Bread and water rations. Because he told the truth. And Ahab ends up getting killed by an, an errant arrow. And dogs end up licking his blood off the ground and out of his chariot. Peter says, guys like that, like Zedekiah, like the 400 chuckleheads with him, are going to arise because they've been arising. False teachers are going to arise like that, like they arose there. They're a dime a dozen, a dime a dozen of yes men abusing anyone who dares to clearly state God's word. People who clearly state God's word get abused by people like this. Peter says they will, they will introduce destructive heresies. Now, a lot of times we, we talk about heresy as if it's a doctrine, like a teaching. Doctrines can be heresies. They can be destructive. Uh, but these are, these are doctrines that create factions, actually. Like it's not just you have a different opinion on some minor thing, but it's designed to create factions among people. That's a heresy. Not so much just something that's errant, not something that is wrong or untrue or a matter of opinion, because there are, there are some things, right, that are matters of opinion. Um, these people are trying to divide others with their teachings and with their the things that they proclaim and he says, even, let me skip back over, get back over here, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Um, that's, here's the hard part, guys. This is the hard part. See, you think it's easy, you think it's easy to tell who the false teachers are. You don't have to admit to it. I know it's true. The reason I know it's true is because I don't go even a month without somebody bringing a book written by one into my office and say, you ought to read this. Or somebody suggesting me by a book written by a false teacher. I know. It's not that easy. They're arising among us. 
among us, just like the false prophets among Israel, which was Israel, which was made up of the ten tribes of Israel, they still had Zedekiah and 400 chuckleheads telling the king everything what he wanted to hear. That wasn't, those were not Moabites. Those were not Midianites. They were not Egyptians. They were Israelites. But you can go back and look in the references in the New Testament. You guys have a, every, actually, you may not realize that you have a concordance. We used to say you need to go buy a concordance. If you have a phone, you have a concordance for free that will do this for you in two seconds. To whom much is given, much is required, church. Don't be lazy with the technology that you have. You have it sitting there right now. You can go and look for the references to people being bought in the New Testament, and it is always believers in every other instance. Meaning that Peter is at least allowing for the fact that these false teachers are justified individuals. Justified individuals who are teaching aberrant things about Jesus Christ. It lines up perfectly with the warning in 1 John to test the spirits, and the litmus test was what do they teach about Jesus? How do you deny the master who bought you today? This is going to hurt your feelings too. I'm in the ministry of agitation. Give me a break. All these people that are pearl clutching over the violence going on in Israel, saying that there needs to be a unilateral peace and a two-state solution, are denying Christ and his purpose in the world in Israel. And they are false teachers. I've told you already, I told you in Sunday school, I don't know if I've said it here in the service, but you, that is denying. I mean, that, Jesus said that. I have come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's horrendous, the number of people who are protesting with pro-Hamas organizations and protesters on Sunday going to church and singing praises to Jesus. They ought to be ashamed. But at very least, could you avoid being influenced by that crap? Maybe. You're denying the master who bought you. As a believer, they were doing that. What do they teach about Christ? Does Christ have a, a continuing plan for Israel? Is he Israel's Messiah? Is he coming again to establish the kingdom for Israel? Yes. People like that bring swift destruction upon themselves. As I said, you know, not swift enough for some of us, but that's not really what it means. It means that it will be unmistakable, violent, and quick. Takanos, I think, is a description. Many will follow their sensuality. Actually, I, so do I need to do the work for you? 
Can y'all look up bought? Let's do it. I have them in a list here. I don't have them on the screen. But Acts 20, 28. It says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's a description of the church of believers, of saints, right? 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you were bought with a price, believers. Do not become slaves of men. Even 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 18, knowing that you were not redeemed, purchased, same word, bought with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Believers, people who were bought, past tense. Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation." Not an unbeliever among those references. Not one. Now, there are people in the world, right, that look at the epistles and they see the word saints and they go, well, some of those were pretend saints. Don't buy that crap either. Paul knew to whom he was addressing his epistles, as did Peter, as did the other apostles. Who read it doesn't matter to whom it was addressed. I've made this illustration, right? You could read. See, my wife has all these wonderful little cute letters that I wrote back when I was a a romantic young man and had feelings. She has a little box of them. And my kids find them occasionally. They have no idea who wrote those things because that man had feelings, and he doesn't have feelings anymore. It's not true. My wife said, don't you touch those. Those aren't written to you. That's not for common consumption. Well, they could read them. They read well, but it's not written to them. And they would simply mock it, probably. So what if an unbeliever mocks what's written in the Scripture? It's not written to them. There are no saints addressed, no people who are not saints addressed in the New Testament. Zero. Certainly the epistles. I think we would all agree there. These are believers. It's a hard pill to swallow, but what it means is that we, we can't simply interview somebody necessarily on the, on the basis of whether they're believers or not. Do you understand the gospel? Are you a believer? Are you going to heaven when you die? That would make it pretty easy because I don't let unbelievers teach anyway, Right? That's open, shut, slam dunk. If I don't think you're a believer, you ain't teaching anywhere. You ain't teaching the Bible. If you're not a believer without the ministry of illumination and discernment of the Holy Spirit in your life, that would make it simple. But Peter describes this as though these being, at least potentially, at least partially, people who could be, anyway, believers. But they're going to have the right answers when you ask them on that front. You would hope that most people would pick up on that. But they don't. Verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. Now that has sexual overtones in English. Um, 
It didn't in Greek. It was the idea that there's no rules. There's no bounds. You can go off the reservation and nobody cares. That's the nature of licentiousness. That's the word that we used to use for that sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Many will follow them. You know why? It's, it's because, especially as Americans, we have this issue of believing that truth is found in consensus. Meaning if, if something is proclaimed loudly enough and commonly enough that the 400 people in the room couldn't be chuckleheads, that's absolutely wrong. I'd already told you, most of the time, you got 400 people in a room and they're saying the same thing. They're either dumb, deceived, or scared to death. How do I know? Well, there are what, 70 people in here? You have 100 different opinions as to what a pastor's supposed to do. You wouldn't even say the same thing about that, I bet. That means you're not dumb, deceived, and scared, by the way that I could ask you and you would say different things. I'm not accusing you of that. I'm saying if you find the alternative, that's true. I can't get 70 people in the same room with the same opinion, but that's the freedom of our structure at El Paso Bible Church. Many will follow them. There's a lot of them, and they're, not to borrow the phrase, they're loud and proud of what they're saying. These false teachers, and it's effective. But the weird thing is that the people who follow after their licentiousness, I see as believers, many will follow them. But the way of the truth will be maligned. In other words, unbelievers are more discerning about this than believers are. And they will malign Christ and the way of the truth because of that, because people follow false teachers. People follow false teachers. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Um, I told you that somebody whipped this verse out on me earlier today, like literally at about 9.15 this morning before I started Sunday school on I, I admin a theology discussion group. Um, and uh, it's about 3,000 people. And so we have, we got some chuckleheads sometimes. It happens. Um, and uh, he, said, he threatened me with hell. <laughs> I'm a false teacher. My destruction is imminent. It's quick. Understand that that word is almost never used for going to hell when you die. It means lay waste to your efforts in your life, right? That's what, so Simon Magus, you know that story? Simon Magus, Scripture, Luke records, Simon Magus believed. And after he believed, he tried to buy the apostolic gifts. Remember that? No? You should remember. Go look it up. You have a concordance on your phone. Simon Magus. And Peter says to him, may your silver be destroyed along with you. Turkey? No, he didn't say turkey. And yet, the product of your life, 
the silver, that, the very silver that you've earned in your life, that you feel is yours to do with what you will, will be of, to, of no avail to you. It will be laid waste. Apollea. It will be laid waste. And they're not getting away with it. He has to tell us that. He has to tell us that because it doesn't appear that way. It does look like their judgment is idle, doesn't it? Don't you think so? Look back in 1 Kings 22, right? How many false prophets are there? They're having a big honking prophecy party in front of Ahab. They've even got costumes, little happy birthday hats on, having a big party in consensus, and we're all happy getting along together because we're all saying the same thing. And then little Micaiah gets a dry crust of, crust of bread and thrown in prison for speaking the truth. Now, which one looks successful to you? I think until the very moment the arrow went through the joint of Ahab's armor, he thought the chuckleheads were the successful ones and that he was the successful one and that his judgment was not even going to happen, much less just idle. God is keeping account of what these false teachers are doing. And they will be accountable for it. And it will be sudden when it comes. True prophets, actual apostles don't do this. They don't come up with cleverly devised tales. Peter told us that. They don't use false words. They don't use it to exploit people. They don't deny the master who bought them. And it is important that we know the difference. And he's got a long list of examples. And I've been struggling with how to go through the list of examples, to be honest. It's too many verses to do in one message. And we're going to, I'm, I'm still working through that, how to do that effectively. Long list of examples. But the point is, we need to know the difference. We need to know the difference. Um, it's important, guys. It's important to your personal lives. Men, it is important to your families. It is important to your families that you make a demarcation between what is false teaching and what is true teaching, what it reflects the prophecies in Scripture and what doesn't. And it is important that you take the lead generationally for that. Men get real uncomfortable when I tell them that. In fact, I was sitting in my a comprehensive exam a couple months ago now, yes, a month ago. And we were talking about, the, I think, the pastoral epistles. And I mentioned, you know, the biblical solution is real unpopular. That's why I'm so popular, guys, because I say all this popular stuff. Um, and that is that the biblical solution, if a wife doesn't understand something in teaching, is to ask her husband. And my professor went, well, the wives are 10 times further along than the husbands. I didn't disagree. That's often the case. So what does that mean, guys? Man the heck up. You have a lot of ground to cover, if that's true. It may not be true. But it's never going to get better if you don't decide to make it better. And one of the ways 
that we do that is to understand that the influx largely of things that are Christian are not Christian at all. They have Christian frosting on them, and that's what's going to inundate the ears, minds, and hearts of your families. And much of it is destructive. Much of it is destructive. And it is our responsibility to be the filters. We don't simply expose our families to things that feed the dopamine addiction that the rest of society is going after that makes them feel good or because it makes us feel important or because it makes us feel successful. You think pastors would know better, but you go sit in a room full of pastors, the guys who are speaking almost always are guys that have gotten more butts in the seats. Simple line. They haven't learned the lesson. We will be light years beyond, light years beyond, if we can simply understand that this is our job to do, men. If we can distinguish between these two types of teachers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the messages, messages, this message in particular that it teaches us that there is a distinction to be made, that it can be made, and that it is necessary to be made between those who are false teachers and those who are without novelty simply proclaiming what the word teaches. We thank you for that. We thank you for the life that we have in your son by grace through faith alone in him alone. Father, we thank you uh, that the life that we lead today extends into eternity, that we possess that eternal life even now. We thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll dismiss with a song.
dismissed.